Would you join me in praying as we come to the word this morning? Lord Jesus, you are the one that we have come to see this morning. You are the one that we have come to meet with. We have the honor and the privilege of coming together as a family to seek your face. May we find you this morning. You promise in your word in Jeremiah that we will find you when we seek you and seek you with all of our hearts. Lord Jesus, I can only speak for myself, but I come seeking with all my heart this morning. Make yourself known to us, God. Bring your word to life in our midst. Teach us and transform us, I pray. And Lord, as always, may I decrease and you increase this morning. Be glorified, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So we continue this morning uh, in our walk through Mark. Uh, we will get, be getting into Mark chapter 7. So I would say all things considered, we're making pretty good time. Uh, this, this could have gone slower, I'll say that. Um, last week, as we, we gathered together, and we looked at the miracle of Jesus walking on the water, uh, we, we didn't focus so much on the actual miracle of it, though it's obviously you can't escape it. Uh, but what we really focused on was the disciples and their reaction to it. If you remember, uh, it says that the disciples were astounded because they didn't understand Jesus' miracle of feeding the 5,000. They didn't see Jesus for who he was. And so it was like they had scales over their eyes, like in the Apostle Paul's uh, story. And they weren't able to see Jesus as he really was. But when they saw him walking on the water, it's as if the scales fell off. They saw Jesus for who he was. And it says, for the first time ever, we see in Matthew's account that they bowed down and began to worship him. We, we were looking at it in, in view of one of our values here of a church uh, that we are a, called to be a people that live with divine expectation. A kind of people who expect Jesus to show up and do Jesus-sized things in our everyday. That this is to be the norm for believers. Not that we're going to get to go walk on water or that it's just going to be miracle after miracle every day. Not that kind of thing. But that we expect the presence of God in our lives every day. This was the mistake that the disciples had made. They missed the presence of God. They thought this was just Jesus, a really good guy, probably a prophet. But once they began to see him as he truly was, the box was blown apart. God is in our midst and everything is going to be different. The way the disciples viewed everything from this point on was now different because God was with us in the boat, on the land, everywhere we went, and everything was different. And, and this is the kind of view that we're to have as his disciples nowadays, living with divine expectation. And so let's see where this goes uh, from here. So we find ourselves, we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 6, uh, verse 53. Once that's done, they, they, Jesus just walked on the water. He got in the boat. He calms the storm. Uh, the disciples worship him. And it says that when they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and beached the boat. As they got out of the boat, people immediately recognized him. They hurried throughout the vicinity, and they began to carry the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he would go into villages, towns, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch the tassel of his robe. And everyone who touched it was made well. 
So everywhere Jesus goes now, the, the miraculous is happening. People are brought, whether it says he's in, in the cities, in the small towns, or just out in the countryside. People are bringing all of their sick to him. And it says here, it's interesting, just to touch the tassel of his robe. What does that remind us of? Two chapters ago, the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years, and she had this thought, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And she was, and so you see that the story is spreading. And now everyone's going, we have to get in the presence of Jesus. When Jesus is around, everything's different. Even if we, like that lady, if we could just touch the tassel of his robe, everything will be different. And so think about it. You hear that Jesus is in the countryside outside of town. Your friend maybe is lame on a mat, getting a couple people together, picking him up and carrying him for miles. Because if we can get him in the presence of Jesus, things are going to be different. Everywhere he go, they began to carry sick on the mats to him. And we see that every time they would touch the tassel of his robe, they were healed. Imagine today if every time someone is sick, they sought out Jesus' people. Imagine if this was the reputation the church had. That, man, those people know Jesus, and where Jesus is, things are different. You're sick. Well, have you called a doctor? Cool, cool, cool. Do you know any Christians? Because crazy things happen when they pray. Because everyone I know who's come into their presence, like something's different. Sometimes people got healed, and sometimes they didn't. But things are different around those people. Those people have some stuff that I don't understand. Can you imagine that? This is what we see in the book of Acts. After Jesus leaves, and now his disciples, the, the apostles, are starting to build the church, and everywhere they go, people are bringing sick to them and all this, because they knew, boy, that Peter guy has been with Jesus, and now wherever that Peter guy is, things are different. There is something there. It doesn't say that everyone knew that why it was different, all that. They just knew where Jesus is, things are different. And then later we see where Jesus' people are, things are different. And the crowds began to flock because there's power there. This is the kingdom that we're talking about. There is something different about Jesus' kingdom people. We have to be around them. I don't even understand it. We just got to get close to them because they got something I need. This is obviously not the story of the church in our culture today, but could it be? That's a side note. So Jesus is going throughout this whole vicinity, healing dozens, scores, hundreds. We don't know. It just says everyone that's brought to him is healed in every village, town, and country that he goes to. And then come the bad boys. Mark chapter 7, verse 1. The Pharisees. They, they can't let a good thing go. They got to come and, and, and start sticking their hands in. So Jesus is going through healing the sick, all of these miracles surrounding his ministry. And the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him. They observed that some of his disciples were eating their bread with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees, in fact, all the Jews, will not eat unless they wash their hands ritually, keeping the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they have washed their hands. 
And there are many other customs that they have received and keep, like the washing of cups and jugs and copper utensils and dining couches. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating bread with ritually unclean hands? He answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. Disregarding the command of God, you keep the tradition of men. He said to them, you completely invalidate God's command in order to maintain your tradition. This is, this is a harsh uh, teaching of Jesus. You hypocrites. Everything you do is an act. You look one way, but your hearts are far from me. The Pharisees completely miss what's going on. Like, imagine this scene. Everywhere Jesus goes, he's surrounded by those that used to be sick. There, there would be celebrating. There would be singing. There would be rejoicing where Jesus went. We, we've seen so many times that where Jesus goes, a crowd gathers. Because again, people go, there's something different here. Life is better around Jesus. And yet in come the Pharisees in the midst of the rejoicing, in the midst of the storytelling. Did you hear what happened yesterday? What about last week? And all of these conversations. And the Pharisees go, how come you guys aren't washing their hands? What's up with that, Jesus? Really? Dirty hands, Jesus? It's ridiculous. When you actually put yourself into the story, it's preposterous. The sick are being healed. The lame walking. The blind seeing your guys didn't wash their hands. It's stupid. But this is what they bring. This is the level that the Pharisees were at. They were more concerned about petty arguments. They were more concerned about trying to find some chink in Jesus' armor so they could build themselves back up than they were literally seeing kingdom work be done all around them. They've witnessed this because it's happening all over the place. They've seen it, they've witnessed it, and they ignore it. They're more concerned with petty arguments than with seeing the kingdom be built. Why does Jesus get so mad at the Pharisees, though? Like, I mean, you would think at some point in time he's just going to go, you guys don't get it, and just move on. Like, I'm, I'm too busy to enter into your petty little arguments. There's kingdom work to be done. But Jesus always responds to the Pharisees and responds strongly to the Pharisees. And have you ever stopped and asked why? Think about this. The people that are being healed, the people that are being set free, are the people that the Pharisees have been called to shepherd. If anyone should be rejoicing at the works of Jesus, it should be the Pharisees. They have been called to be the shepherds of Israel, to see Israel become the people that God created to be, to live their lives, to lead, and, and for the betterment of the people Yet they witness these miracles, and they're actually mad about it. They're actually going, how do we, we got to stop this guy. This is the shepherds that Israel had at the time. These were the people that God had called and placed to lead Israel, and this is how they were using it. Let's take this guy down. He's, he has the audacity to heal the people that we've been called to love. Let's get him. And Jesus will have none of it. You hypocrites. You notice it's, it's not the average sinner, quote unquote, that Jesus comes down on. 
When Jesus comes up against prostitutes and tax collectors and those that just have the vague sinners, what's his response to them? Love, compassion, gentleness, invitation. When Jesus comes up against those who are supposed to know better, those who, who have the Old Testament word and most of it's memorized, like they've been put in a place to lead and they've chose to use it selfishly. They've chose to tear down instead of build up and Jesus comes down hard on them time and time again. Because Jesus sees deeper. Jesus says, Pharisees, here's what's really going on. It's not just that you guys don't understand the miracles that, ha- that are happening. You have a heart problem. Look at what he says there in verse 6. He answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people, the Pharisees, honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's a show. You are trying to look the part, but your heart is not drawing near to me. Your desire is not to, to grow closer to God, to see the kingdom of God advanced. Your desire is to put on a show and get some attaboys from people. It's, and Jesus says, you hypocrites, I'll have none of it. The way that, that the um, Pharisees walked around, especially when it comes to this whole like law of the elders and all of this stuff, the traditions, you got to wash these things from the marketplace before you get home because a dirty Gentile might have touched it. And if you touch something a dirty Gentile touched, ooh, what if you get some of that on you? You have to wash your hands because you never know who's out there in the marketplace. And what if some of their dirty lifestyle gets on you? Ew. So you got to wash. I mean, is there anything wrong? Like, listen, in our 21st century culture, is there anything wrong with washing cups, jugs, copper utensils, dining couches, hands? Is there anything wrong with this? Zero. Jesus was not going, how dare you do the dishes What Jesus was talking about was why they were doing these things. As if the world around them was going to contaminate them. Ew. We are so far above those dirty Gentiles. We are so far above anyone and anything else. We can't even, like, what if I touched bread that they touched? We have to wash it. This is the mentality that they had. It was this, I'm better than everyone else. I can't let any of them get on me kind of mentality. And it was repulsive to Jesus. Where did Jesus spend his time? In the mud with the worst of the worst, as the Pharisees would have seen it. Touching lepers. Eating with prostitutes. I mean, listen, I think I've said this before. Sometimes we can... We can sterilize scripture a little bit. And we hear tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners. And we just kind of gloss over, yeah, 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 those are the people Jesus went to. Tax collectors being literally traitorous people. People who are committing acts of treason against Israel. And Jesus sits down with them. Prostitutes. People selling their body for money. Maybe even the same day that they sit down and eat with Jesus. Sinners, whatever else fits in there, like... This would have been a people that, honestly, most of us would be pretty uncomfortable with. You do what for a living? I'm sorry. I don't want people to get the wrong idea now with us hanging out together. And, And we would distance ourselves naturally from these people, but Jesus was drawn to them. And the Pharisees couldn't stand getting any of their ick on them. 
What if some of their sin that gets on me, I have to wash it off? Jesus says this over in Matthew 23. You never want to find yourself on the receiving end of one of Jesus' woes. It's a bad place to be, yet the Pharisees find themselves there often. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and every impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I see through you, Pharisees. You think that if you can keep the act up, everything's fine. I see through you. You are like whitewashed tombs trying to decorate the place where dead bones are kept. And dead bones back then was like one of the most unclean things you could have. This was a slam to Jesus, or from Jesus, excuse me. You on the inside are the most unclean thing that I can name. Even on the outside, you're trying to look pretty. Back to Mark chapter seven. Uh, in the NIV, a different translation what I've been reading, it says this. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. So let's take a minute and we're going to talk just about this last accusation that he said, placing the commands and the traditions of men above the commands of God. P placing the things that seem right to us that he says in here are merely human rules, but putting them on a level of God says. If you disobey these human traditions, you're sinning against God. Where has the church been guilty of this? In its past or maybe even today, this is where we talk and we, we learn from each other. Where has the church been guilty of putting man-made rules above the commands of God? Or, or it, sometimes it even says um, here at the end, a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Let's tattle on ourselves a little bit. Right. Yeah. 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 There are hundreds of different denominations in the Protestant church. Very, very, very few of them come back to actual biblical commands. Most of it is on these man-made things. We prefer this. We prefer that. Well, obviously, we can't worship together anymore. It's silliness. It's elevating these human rules. What are some of even those human rules? Type of music. Hymns versus contemporary. Loud versus soft. Drums versus no drums. Let me tell you, you will not find in the scriptures it has to be this kind of music. It's the rules and the preferences of men placed 
on the level of one is sin and one isn't, and that's not from the Lord. What else? Versions of the Bible? Yep. David? Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we're, we're going to deal with that one in depth uh, here in a little bit, but that whole idea of Christians aren't allowed to go to these places or to be with these people, again, kind of like the Pharisees, because you might get some of it on you. That is not a command of God. It's certainly not the way that we saw Jesus demonstrating life. What else? Tim? Sure. Mm-hmm. As you're wearing a tie, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, the dress codes, they have been some of the most frustrating things to me with churches, you know, and if you're not wearing this, if you're not wearing that, if you are wearing this or you are wearing that, you're literally, you may not even be welcome here kind of thing. You will never find a passage of scripture that says anything near that, yet those rules have been elevated. Anything else? They tell the priests how to dress in the Old Testament. Anyone in here a descendant of Levi? No one? Okay. Not something we need to worry about then. Think especially, you know, back in like the the 50s and stuff, I hear stories from a lot of people of, uh, well, if you dance, you're not allowed to go to church. You know what I mean? Like, I remember when Kim and I had our wedding reception, uh, we were allowed to dance. We had our reception at the church where we had our wedding. We were allowed to dance as long as it was outside because you couldn't dance inside. And at the time, we're like, yeah, okay, fine. It wasn't a big deal, but going, wait, what? It's where you dance? Cards were a big thing. For a long time, if you played cards, you were automatically a sinner. Now we look at it, and it's, it's silliness. But back then, uh, Kim's dad will tell stories about like his aunt, I think it was, who would go upstairs into a quiet room and close the door so that she could play solitaire. Because if anybody found out, literally she'd be kicked out of the church. And you're just like, what are we doing? We have a tendency to place the rules of man on the same level or at times even higher than the commands of God. To, to place what it really comes down to is our own preference above God's command or in place of. And it is incredibly dangerous. Jesus, again, these woe to you scribes, that's what this is talking about. You are so worried about building up this image and setting up all of these rules of men, traditions of the elders, merely human rules, and you're trying to place them on people as if it's a command of God. And all it becomes is a weight to carry. You are crushing my people. You hypocrites, you broods of vipers, you whitewashed tombs. This is something that we have to guard against ourselves. I, I know there are some who don't like that, or at least haven't liked in the past, how I dress up here. It doesn't make them comfortable. It's not from their tradition or whatever. Thankfully, I've never had anyone come and like, you're sinning against God. Because at that point, we have to look at it and we go, is this a preference thing? Is this a man-made rule? Is this, I would think it would be better this way or that way? Or is this a sin issue? And if it's not a sin issue, I got to think real carefully 
before I even approach that person, let alone before we break fellowship over something that's merely man-made. It is so dangerous, but it is in our DNA, church. It is what we do. We'll just divide and now we'll just, we'll just go plant a church over there where we can do things our way. We'll just start our own denomination. We'll just, and I think so often Jesus is going, you're falling into the same trap the Pharisees did. It is about what I have said. When, when Jesus says it, it's top tier. It's make or break. It's sin or not sin. When it's just the best we can come up with, hold it open-handed, church. Do not fall into this trap as they did. Jesus gives an example of the ugliness of this type of mentality. Starting in verse 8, he says, Disregarding the command of God, you keep the traditions of men. He also said to them, You completely invalidate God's command in order to maintain your traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is Corban, that is a gift committed to the temple, you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. You revoke God's word by your traditions that you have handed down, and you do many other similar things. So they had this tradition called Corban uh, that essentially went like this. To show how devoted I am, I am promising X amount of wealth to the temple. Maybe it's something that you pay monthly or whatever, maybe a one-time gift, whatever it was, but it was, look at how devoted I am. I'm going to give all of this to the temple. Listen, can that be a beautiful thing? Yes. It can be an act of generosity. But here's where it takes the twist. In this situation, Jesus goes, think of all of the times then that someone who makes that, maybe in their youth and they haven't thought things through, and they make this promise... And then a parent gets sick. A family falls on hard times. And they're going, wait, 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 wait. But the command of God says that I need to honor my mother and father. It says that I need to provide for them as they provided for me. That I need to walk with them as they've walked with me. And the temple would actually come to them and go, sorry, you made a promise. And you will be sinning against God. If you don't fulfill your promise to us, if you don't give us the money we're expecting from you so that you can go help your family, you will be sinning against God. And Jesus says this, it's hypocrisy. It's a command of God, honor your father and mother. Yet they were placing it to the side to enrich themselves, to do what they saw as right in their own eyes. And Jesus says, and you do many other similar things. This is a way of life for you, putting your traditions above the commands of God to love your neighbor, to be a blessing to all nations. No, those people are dirty. We don't want to get any of them on us, so we'll actually say, separate yourself from the nations, voiding the command of God. He goes on, Summoning a crowd, he told them, listen to me, all of you, and understand, nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. If anyone has ears to hear, he should listen. When he went into the house away from the crowd, the disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, are you also as lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a man from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach 
and is eliminated. As a result, he made all foods clean. Then he said, what comes out of a person, that defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, promiscuity, stinginess, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and defile a person. First of all, let's just look at some of the things that Jesus lists together. We have this, uh, again, it's kind of a human thing. We make tears of sins. Certain ones are oopsies and certain ones are big deals. And yet Jesus says evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, and we go, whoa, some bad things. Promiscuity, sex outside of God's design and marriage, whoa. Stinginess, what? Foolishness, huh? You said murder earlier. Pride. Like, no, 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 Jesus, you don't understand. I just struggle with generosity. I'm just a saver. And he says that is stinginess. It is a disobedience to the kind of life I have called my people to live. And it separates us as much as murder and adultery would separate us. That sin has a detrimental effect to your soul and to our relationship, just the same as some of the big boys. He's not trying to pull murder and adultery down and go, it's okay, it's just like being a little stingy. He's trying to go, all sin separates. All sin destroys. Even foolishness destroys. And all these things come from within and defile a a person. They were so focused on the external that they were missing the real danger. The Apostle Paul talks about it in Colossians 2. He says, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teaching. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. For a long time, I struggled with this passage because I was like, but wait, Paul, aren't there things we shouldn't handle or shouldn't taste or shouldn't touch? Like I, and I really struggled with this, but reading it in light of what Jesus was telling the Pharisees, it starts to make sense. He's going, you guys are, what they would do is they had these rules of never talk to this kind of person, never touch this kind of thing, never eat this kind of food, because by doing it, it makes you holier than your neighbors. And they were setting up this hierarchy. Whoever keeps these rules better, truly is better in the kingdom than all these other people who aren't as good at it. And Paul's going, you're completely missing it. You're treating it much like the Pharisees, as if sin was something outside that you got to be careful you don't get any on you. He says, actually, here's the issue. Sin comes from within. You carry sin around with you all day long. It's not about don't go be around those kind of people because then you might start getting some of their sin on you and acting like them. It's be careful when you're around those kind of people because there is something so twisted and corrupted inside of you 
that it is drawn to do the kind of things that they do. The issue isn't cut those people off. The issue is, Lord, I need your help. There is something broken inside of me. I'm not going to get their sin on me. I carry it with me everywhere I go. Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Sin is inside of us. We, we have this thing where we talk about like, there's me and then there's my sin as if they're two separate things. Here's the ugly truth, family. My sin is me. It's not something outside of me that I just got to learn to keep at a distance enough. It is inside of me. I carry it with me everywhere I go and I am in desperate need of Jesus to regenerate my heart, to make me clean from the inside out, not get these people away from me. And as long as I don't listen to this kind of music or whatever, I'm cool. There is something twisted and broken in me and Jesus, until we deal with that, none of the rest of this matters. Jeremiah 17.9 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? My own heart is desperately wicked. And it's not about keeping these rules up or these rules up. It's about Jesus. If you don't give me a new heart, if you don't do a transforming work in me today, I'm sunk. I can't keep the rules good enough. There's still sin and brokenness in me. I need you to bring healing. I need you to change me from the inside out. I love that sound, by the way. Colossians 2 again, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, listen to this, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship. Look at me. Look at how holy I am. Look at how well I keep the rules. Look at how far away I keep the world from me. Self-imposed worship. Their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body. Nobody says no to themselves more than I do. I haven't been to a movie rated above G in 25 years. Look at me. They treat themselves harshly, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence because sin is not something outside. The problem is sin is inside. Those sensual indulgences are already in me. Keeping the rules doesn't help. So let's talk about this again. And this is a tough one to get your mind around. And so if there's some quiet, that's okay. Where are we in danger of doing the same thing today? These man-made rules, these harsh treatments of the body, the, these, these regulations don't, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. But they're not actually helping us to deal with the problem. What's, what could this look like today? This is a, it's a hard question, I admit it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and that, you gotta keep whitewashing the tomb. You know, hoping that no one sees what's inside. I'll say this. If there's anything you have in your life that no one else knows about you, and even to think about telling someone, there's that like little, oh, I don't think I could do that, or oh, I'd be so ashamed, you're in danger. Be careful. I'm not saying you need to come into a microphone and share with everybody and, you know, shout it from the rooftops. But if there's no one in your life that knows that thing about you, be careful. 
you're in an incredibly dangerous place. What else could this look like? Right. Yeah, some of these things that, that Paul's talking about may have been good things. Maybe even things that Jesus had commanded or whatever, but they had been turned into this, look at me, look how good I am. Or sometimes maybe even, like was with reading your Bible, a temptation we all fall into at times is, now God owes me. Because I've been good. And I read his word every day for the last X amount of time. Now he owes me something good. And just going, oh, we've twisted it, we've missed it. I think of like holy huddles, um, like David had shared earlier, this idea that like it's a messed up thinking in the church. You can't be around those people. Those kinds of people will kind of infect you with their sin. And so we don't talk to those kind of people. We don't have those kind of people over to our house. We, we don't rub elbows. We don't share a meal with those kinds of people. Instead, let's just band together because you're safe and you're safe and I'm safe. And the whole point is to stay as far away from sin and sinful people as possible. Look at how holy we are. Yet what is the command that God has give us, given us? Go into all nations making disciples. We disregard the command of God for what makes sense in our heads. If I hang out with those people, I might become like them. So instead, I'm going to disregard God's command and steer clear of those people because I don't want to get anything on me. I, go ahead. What do we got? There. Sure. 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 Yeah, there's healthy boundaries. Um, there's, there's things that... Truly, according to scripture, we shouldn't do. There's enabling. There's some of those kinds of things. But I think that those are probably further out than most of us are comfortable with. I think we're actually called to be more generous, more forgiving, more loving than we're comfortable with. And so we just kind of have brought the lines further in and gone, yeah, yeah, I might, I might give to this organization that's going to help those people. I've done my part. Whew. Now I don't actually have to see any of them or meet any of them or talk with any of them, but we've been called probably a lot deeper in than that. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Look at all the things we don't handle. Everyone knows what we're against. Very few people truly know what we're for. Yeah. I, uh, one example of this kind of mentality, and again, it's been praised for so long, uh, I'll just, it's the issue of pornography. It's run rampant in our culture. Statistics say over 90% of men view it regularly, and now it's up around 60 to 70% of women view it regularly. And if you go to most churches, most groups that meet to talk about this kind of thing, what you're going to get is you need some accountability. We need to put a filter on your computer so that you can't touch it. We need to have some people that are going to ask you about it regularly. Like, we need to um, maybe just take your whole computer and pitch it. You need a dumb phone so that we can just, it's not even there. There, problem solved. Now, is there anything wrong with accountability? Biblical, command of God. Is there anything wrong with having some kind of filter on your computer or going, you know what, I need to just 
get this thing out of my life for a time. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Is that, it, you, it takes it away, and now your pornography viewing is at 0%. Is your heart any healthier? Is the wound that was inside of you that was drawing you towards that kind of objectification or whatever it may be, has that wound been healed? No. Your heart has not been made new. You learn to keep up some new rules. And here's what happens with, I mean, it's with any kind of addiction or anything like that. If we don't actually get to the root and deal with the heart problem, I just pick up another addiction instead. I hear, you know, well, I stopped drinking. I do smoke a lot though now, you know, like I've just, I've transferred my addiction because what was really going on inside was never touched. I just learned don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. I am a fan of accountability. I am a fan of having a filter, having other people involved to walk with you, all of these things. I am a fan of it, but in and of itself, that will not deal with your problem. That will teach you a false sense of humility, but in the end is merely human rules and does nothing for your, the sensual indulgences that are inside of you. We need to deal with the root. We need to allow Jesus and his people in to help find out what is so broken in me that I'm drawn to those things. And listen, that's a humbling thing. We don't like that. You can't say someone's broken. That's not very PC. But we all are. Again, I brought sin with me into the situation. It wasn't waiting there for me. I brought my own in a bag. Now, the temptations of this they just tempted those things out. But the truth is they were in there all the time. And until we learn to allow Jesus to deal with the heart, all it's going to be is man-made rules. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. And we'll just keep piling more and more on until eventually we can't carry the weight and we fail. Because it does nothing to restrain the sensual indulgence, the wickedness of our own hearts. That is where the true battle is fought. Again, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Sounds kind of hopeless, right? Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This is the prophet Ezekiel, God speaking through him to the nation of Israel and going, one day... This whole, this, there's going to be a new covenant. I'm going to do a new thing. When Jesus comes onto the earth, I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. God is in the business of making things new. God is in the business of taking our wicked, sinful hearts and making them new. We talked last time about living with divine expectation. There's another part that we attach to that as one of our values as a church. The whole thing is divine expectation and engagement. And how we, we view that is that we're a people motivated by and hungry for the presence of God. We're looking for Jesus to move in our everyday and partnership with him in transformation. When Jesus moves, dead things are brought to life. Old things are made new. And it starts with me looking each day to go, Jesus, how are you seeking to make my heart new today? What parts of it are still stone and you're trying to remove them and give me a heart of flesh? 
Let me tell you, he's not just going to say, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. He's going to go, this part of you is wounded. And we need to go there. The love of the Father is going to bring newness and it's going to bring healing. And the things that were once tempting now will hold no power over you because I've given you a new heart. I was using pornography as an example earlier. I can stand up here and and tell you, and this is not hubris, and this is not me saying, wow, look at me. Pornography is not a temptation to me today. I lived for about 10 years completely addicted. But when Jesus gave me a new heart, he didn't just say, don't do these things anymore. He took me to some hurtful places. He took me to some things that were broken inside of me, and he said, I want to make this new. Some places that I was, I was completely unlovable in my own view, and he poured out his love there. So that now those things that are outside, those temptations that the enemy may try to throw, the, the commercials, the movies, the whatever it may be that you didn't go looking for, they just show up. They don't hold power over me. Not because I just learned to keep the rules really well, but because I have a new heart. The parts in me that were broken and twisted and drawn to that have been healed. I'm not saying I'm a finished product either. But like Paul says, not looking at what's behind, but straining toward what's ahead, I press on towards the goal which Christ has called me heavenward. Not that, I have, not that I'm a finished product, but I don't got time for that. Jesus has healed me, and I'm moving forward. This is what the church is to be about. I think this is how we need to approach areas of sin. Is not just, okay, let's get some accountability. Let's, again, good pieces of the puzzle. But those are almost the band-aid. We got to stop the bleeding while the surgeon is going in and doing some heart work. Because until we get that festering wound taken care of, band-aids don't cut it. Let me pray for us. This, I, this, is, this is a difficult topic. It, it's, it's nuanced, and we don't like nuanced. We like always and never. And this is one I just I really feel I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and just ask the Lord to impress this on us. I feel like we, we truly need his Holy Spirit to come and enlighten us to those areas, to put his finger on some of those areas, and to help us walk forward. So let's pray. Again, just inviting the Lord to, to take this deeper. Uh, Lord Jesus, I don't say this often, but words fail me, God. Uh, this is such a deeply personal issue. This is such a... Um, painful place for many of us. We've preferred the don't handle, don't taste, don't touch because to go to that place hurts too much. Um, Can God really be trusted in that area of my life? Uh, What if he calls me to let someone else in? Can, Can he be trusted with that? Lord, the answer is yes. You are good. You can be trusted. You will fulfill your promises, God, to remove our heart of stone and to give us hearts of flesh, to renew us, to transform us from the inside out if we will trust you. So, Lord, I am, I am wholly reliant on your Holy Spirit to come and speak to your people, to place your finger on some of those areas in their hearts that are wounded, that are corrupted, that are twisted, 
and to begin to show yourself to them in those areas. Not just, hey, quit it, stop touching that, but truly pouring your love out, healing the wounded parts that even want to touch that. Truly in this way, Jesus, may we be more like you. May we then be freed to go to those that are in a situation that is scary for us or in a situation where we're going, oh, I could never. May we be healed to the point where we are free to go where you send us, to whatever those people look like and however messy that situation may be like. May we be freed by you. Remove from us our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh, I pray. Do your work, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask the music team to come up and we're going to, we're going to close with a song. And I...